Amen. Well, we're going to get into the word today. And I do have a word from the Lord for you today. If you wouldn't mind flipping over to a Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to dig into just a couple of quick verses. Not going to keep you too awful long today. Or we'll see, I guess. So here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely. Thank you. Whew, this is going to make it a lot easier. Ain't no telling what might come out of there if I don't have my glasses on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I want to talk to you this morning from the topic of headway. So let's pray over this word before we get into it. Father, Father, I bless your name and we honor you this morning. We thank you for making your presence felt today. Our hearts and our ears are open to you this morning, Lord God. We ask that you would speak to us clearly. I ask that you would bring all things back to my remembrance, that you would give me clarity of thought and agility of wit. Your word is precious to us, Lord. Your word is precious to us because it guides us, it corrects us, it strengthens us, it encourages us, it keeps us, it saves us. It reveals you to us, Father. And we love you, Father. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for all that you've done for us today. So speak clearly to your people this morning, Lord. For it's your voice that they want to hear and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So headway. Headway is a, is a nautical term. And what it means is that you set a course, and once you set that course, you sail directly in that direction. Now, God, the word says that if we follow these steps, that God will make our way straight. So why is it important that our way be straight? Because God puts you in the earth for a purpose and a reason. And in order to accomplish that purpose and a reason, every moment of your life needs to be taking you closer to it. So you can't, the problem that we have as people is that we get distracted. So instead of making our way straight, we go off of this way or we go off of that way. When I was studying this out, it brought to my remembrance, you know, I've moved around a few times since I graduated, graduated college. One of the places that I lived was a little town called Maslin, Ohio. Now the population of Maslin is probably, back at that time, maybe 30,000 people. It was a really small town. Um, but the thing that made me think of it in, in relation to this message is that I was talking to a friend of mine that I made while I lived in Maslin, and I told him that I had often wondered where those roads go to when you're driving down the interstate and there's just an exit number. There's not a street name, there's not the name of a town, just an exit number. And oftentimes, at the end of that street is Maslin, by the way. Oftentimes, we take those detours in our life that take us to nowhere. So the purposes of God are either foiled in our life or delayed in our life because our path is not straight. Yeah, I feel like I just want to sit down and just talk to you guys like a father, but we're going to walk this thing out this way. Um, so God would have our paths to be straight. There is, he gives us three keys in this text to making our path straight. He says, trust in the Lord. Oh, boy. Let me find it again. Yeah. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So the first key is to trust in God, to 
base your life, to bank your life on all the promises of God. But it's not just a simple trust in God. It's not just a simple intellectual assent to the fact that God exists and that he's interested in your life. It's not simply the idea that God is there and that he's listening, but it is a trust that should provoke you to some kind of action. That's the true kind of trust that he's talking about here. You see, I trust that my company is going to pay my salary. As a result, I get up and I go to work every day, right? So we trust that God is going to hear our prayers and that God has a plan for our life. That should provoke us to do something. Now, I trust, that the, I trust my company is going to pay my salary because, first of all, they've been paying it for a long time, so we have history. I trust that my company is going to pay my salary because I know that they have the ability to pay it. I trust that they're going to pay my salary because I know that they have the desire to pay it. I trust that they're going to pay my salary because we have an agreement between me and the company. Well, we have an agreement between us and God, that God is going to be involved in your life, that he will guide your past, that he will guide your thoughts and your words, that he will bring the right people in, he will create the right situations, he will open the right doors and close the right doors because we are in covenant. You see, I'm in covenant with the company that I work on because we have both come to an agreement. We're in covenant with God because we've come to an agreement. The reason that we can trust God is because we know that he's able. We know that he's willing. We know that he has the desire. And we have history with him. Amen? So the first thing we have to do is trust in the Lord and bank your life on the promises of God. Going on into the text, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What that means is that at, at every turn in your life, at every decision in your life, at every thought in your life, there should be an element of God involved in that. It is about your perspective and your prospective. So your perspective is that the presence of God should, all, should be primary so that the, wait, hold on, let me get this right. The presence of God should be primary so that the perspective of God will always be present. Well, what does that mean? What I'm saying here is that if you keep God forward in your thoughts, if everything that you do and everything that you say and everything that you, every adventure that you go on, if you're, if you're looking at it through the lens of the Christian life and of who God is, that that opens the door to bring God in and the presence of God would be in your life. So the expectation, the expectation that God is going to get involved in your situation should drive some behaviors. So let's talk about those for a moment. Uh, let's go over to Acts 3.19. In order, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The thing that separates us from God is sin, plain and simple. God, sin cannot come into the presence of God. Therefore, God can't come into the presence of your life if your life is filled with sin. We have to deal with that in order to be, in order to keep the presence of God in our life. The whole per part of the purpose of keeping the presence of God in our life is so that he can guide our steps so that we keep our paths straight. 
So we have to deal with that in our life. Could you put the text back up for a moment? So it says, repent, therefore, and be converted, and your, that your sins may be blotted out so that refreshing may come to your life. So here it is. Here's the key. Here it is. It starts off with repentance. Then, it's, then it goes from repentance to resistance. That is the part about being converted is there is a part in you that says that from this, for, from this place forward, I may not always get it right but I am going to at least put the effort in to resist sin. The Bible says this about sin, that if we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, that he will flee from us. So we have an obligation there. It's not all, it's not all or God. It's not simply about repenting, but there's something more that we have to do. We have to resist. We have to be converted. So we repent. We resist. We get restored. That's um, the, uh, that your sins may be blotted out and then refresh. Repentance, resistance, Restoration, refreshing. Amen? Amen? Let's go over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33, 2. There we go. Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it, to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. The trusting God should provoke us to action. Part of that action is that we're willing to really spend time calling out to God. Part of that action is that we call out to God with the belief that if we call to him, that he will answer us. Pastor Jesus said it earlier today, that if you draw near to God, God would draw near to you. Well, there's some action that you have to take if you're going to draw near to God. I'm glad that Pastor Jesus mentioned the Bible study because what we've been talking about in Bible study is, strong, is strengthening the core. Really what that's all about is about the spiritual disciplines. The things that we do to keep us connected to God, to draw us closer to God. Things like, um, like Bible study, fellowship, um, prayer, uh, solitude, meditation. All of those things help to draw us closer to God. And they remove, they get our mind fixed on God so that we can be better at resisting sin so that God is able to come into our lives and direct our steps and to keep us on that straight and narrow path so that we get to that expected end, so that we accomplish everything that God put us on the earth for. So the third thing I want to talk about, I'm going to spend a few moments on this, is lean not to your own understanding. Refuse to be self-reliant. That is one of the biggest challenges I think that we have in our country is refusing to be self-reliant. Because from a very young age, we're told to be independent. We're told to make our own decisions, to think for ourselves and not to let other people think for us. We're told to go after our own, to decide what our path wants to be, and to go after it. Well, the Bible says that we should not lean to our, own, to our understanding. And when we, lean, when we lean to our own understanding, we trust our knowledge and our discernment to support us through. Now, while I know we have some really bright people here and some really discerning people here, there is a problem with leaning to your own understanding. The problem is, as, um, as Jeremiah put it, the problem is, the heart is deceitful above all, above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
the reason that we need to not, the reason that we have to get to the point where we do not lean on our understanding and lean on, and lean on God's understanding is because our understanding is, can be carnal in nature because we are human, because our hearts are deceitfully wicked and they will draw us off on paths instead of keeping us on that straight path. It would take us down that, that path where there's just a number, that street where there's just a number or an exit number, that at the end there's nothing. Meanwhile, we've wasted days, weeks, months, years of our lives chasing after something that was never God's plan for us. So the purposes of God are delayed or denied in our life. And really, in our life, it's not about what we get out of it, but it's what about what God gets out of it. Because all of this is going to come to an end one day. And the only thing that's really going to count is what God got out of it. So let's dig into this a little more. The purpose of not following, not leaning on our own wisdom, but leaning on God's wisdom is so that we develop a heart. Or one of the things that we have to do in order to cause that to happen is we have to develop a heart that not only hears from God, but that is quick and faithful to respond to it. So here we go. So how do we, how do we learn to trust God? To trust in God's wisdom and not our own. This is what Proverbs says about it. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now I know that um, oftentimes when we consider the fear of the Lord, we put it in a way that makes it easy for us to accept. So we say the fear of the Lord is a, is a healthy respect for who God is, a healthy respect for what God does, a healthy respect for God's power and, who, and all, that he, all that encompasses him. And I get that, and I believe that wholly. But if that's all that you believe of the fear of, the God, that the fear of God encompasses, you're missing a big part of it. When I was growing up, I have two brothers. I have two brothers and a sister. We're all fairly close in age, so our household was very active. And there was always somebody in trouble, always. My father, I know he loved us. He cared for us all the days of our life. He taught us and raised us up and everything. I know, no question in my, in my mind that he loved us. But you can believe that when you stepped away from that straight and narrow path, he was there to put you back in play. There was a fear of him that went beyond reverence. There was a fear of him that went beyond who he is. There was a fear of him because he punished people. Now, he wasn't the kind of guy that would just beat up, beat up people. He wasn't mean or anything like that. But he was faithful to his love for us. Now, we don't want to see God as that way. We don't want to see God as being faithful to what he's promised over us. And there are some things in the Bible that God has said about those who stray off the path that we don't really want to deal with. Let's take, for example, um, Korah, Dathan, and Ibriel. Now, these are three people, and I don't know if I got the names all right. But these are three people that were traveling with Moses. So they came out of Egypt with Moses. They lived in Egypt, and they had all the, flow, you know, the milk and the honey and all that kind of thing. Then they're out wandering through the desert, and eventually they get, they get to the point where they get frustrated. They get frustrated with leadership. Let that sink in for a minute. Frustrated with leadership. So they decide that they're going to band a bunch of people together, and they're going to resist leadership. So they, the three of them get 250 men, and they go to Moses. And they tell Moses, we're sick of following you. You're not the only one that hear from God. We can hear from God, too. 
You have brought us out here into the desert to let us die. You brought us out of a place with milk and honey. I mean, this is literally what they're telling them. You brought us out of a place of milk and honey, and you, brought, you, have, and you have failed to take us into another place of milk and honey. So you got us out here to die, and we're sick of it. We're done with you. Moses says, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Moses says, you go get your censers, which is the little metal thing that they fill with incense when they go to worship. You put your incense on it, you light it up, you come back. We'll all go before God, and we'll see what God has to say about this. So let's go to, uh, must be verse 28. Number 16, verse 28. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Technology is wonderful. It says, and Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new, a new thing, now we like to celebrate it when we talk about the Lord doing a new thing. This ain't one of them. And the Lord opens, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will see, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now follow that, because these men, what they really feel like they're doing is coming against Moses. Moses trying to get them to understand, it's not me that you're coming against. Because I'm called here by God. So it's not me, it's God you're going against. That's what sin does. Sin is not against anybody else. Sin is against God. So here we go. Now what came to, fa- came to pass as he finished speaking, one, one version said, as soon as he finished speaking these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. Now, you would think that maybe that would be enough, but it goes on. Now, mind you, we're talking about a loving God. We're talking about a loving God, but we're talking about a just God. We're talking about a jealous God, a God that won't have anything before him. So they all, so they all, so they and all those who were with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. So you would think, okay, that would be enough to convince everybody that, yeah, Moses is the guy, God is on his side. But it continues because that's not enough. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. That's how you know that. I shouldn't say that. Um, that's how you know they were people of color. Because stuff like that goes down, we scatter. We ain't hanging around. We scatter. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. Here it is. And a fire came up from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So there is a place where God will come in and he will take out, how can I say this? God will come in to kill a whole lot of people. Plain and simple. Now I know this is, the interesting thing about this is that after the fire burned them all up, now mind you, you know, they had their censers that they were offering the incense to the worship it, right? After God, after the fire came out and consumed them all, God told Moses, go gather up all those censers, 
pound them into a plate and put it on top of the altar to remind people of what happened here. That's God. That's a part of God that we can't ignore. Now I realize we're in a new covenant because this is, this is, this is an Old Testament scripture. But we have a new covenant with God. God deals with us differently. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Surely nothing like this would happen in present day. That's all back in antiquity, right? Nah, not so much, not so much. Um, because I'm reminded of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? Ananias and Sapphira were, it's in Acts, where the church had just been founded. And they were excited to be a part of the church. They were enthusiastic. Everybody was. So they all decided that we're going to go out and we're going to sell all that we have. We're going to bring all the money into the church so that everybody has enough. Right? Everybody decided to do this. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they go out and sell theirs, and somewhere along the line, they start talking about, well, you know, it was ours. We worked hard for this. You know, we made the commitment that we'd give it all, but I think we'll hold back a little for ourselves. So the husband, Ananias, walks in to the, to the disciples, and he says, look, here's the money. We did what we said we were going to do. Here's the money. Paul looks at him, he says, why have you lied to the Lord? Mind you, once again, just like Moses, he doesn't say, why are you lying to me? Because your covenant's not with me, your covenant's with God. He tells him, why are you lying to the Lord? And he said, it was your property to decide whether or not you were going to sell it or keep it. It was your money to decide whether you were going to give it or keep it. But you came in here and you perpetrated a lie. And because of that, he dropped dead on the spot. So Ben came along, rolled him up in a sheet, carried the body out and buried it. Three hours later, his wife shows up. We gave the money. You know where she ended up? Right next to her husband. And the result was, so wait, yeah, let's go to this text here. Then Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear, great fear came upon all those who heard these things. So we talk about fearing God, it's not simply a healthy respect for who he is. The problem with dealing with sin, the problem with, or one of the issues that we have when it comes to following the wisdom of God and not our own wisdom is that we don't really view God as who he truly is. You see, we... We believe that God would never really hold us accountable for what we've done because Jesus came. Jesus did die for our sins, but there is a part in there that we have to play in this. We have to live our, we have to deal with the sin in our life so that God is able to get in our lives and direct our paths and keep us straight. We can't allow, we can't allow ourselves to just live in sin. And that's, I think that that is the tension that we live in. It's that we live in a place where we have a God that's loving and caring, just like my father was, but we have a God that's just and that punishes injustice. We live in the middle in there. And I can tell you that growing up with my father, figuring out how to walk in the middle of that, is difficult. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. Because as we're walking along, depending on our own knowledge and our own wisdom, we're constantly going out of bounds, constantly going out of bounds. That's the biggest reason that we have to allow him to guide us on that straight path. 
so that we stay in the perfect place that he has for us, so that we're able to accomplish everything that he put us in the earth to do. God loves us indeed, but he chastises those whom he loves. You want to walk in the power and the grace of God? You want to walk in a place where God is ever present on your life? Deal with the sin in your life. Because God will deal with it eventually. Deal with the sin in your life. Be honest with yourself. Be honest about who God is. And realize that God is not, that God is a loving God, but in that love, there's also chastisement. In that love, there's also punishment. In that love, he will also kick you back into play where you're supposed to be. Amen? Amen. So the three things that I want you to take away from this are this. Or four things. One, trust in the Lord and bank your promises on him. Two, in all your ways, acknowledge God at every turn. In all your ways, acknowledge him at every turn, turn to God. And number three, lean not to your own understanding. Refuse to be self-reliant and rely on God and God alone. Amen? So that's all I have for you this morning. Was that encouragement. You could do it. You could do it. The way that you do it, get into, make the, um, the spiritual disciplines, make them a part of your life. Do them. They work. They were put in, here, they were put in place for us so that we could be true to who he called us to be. But we have a part in it. And if we're going to trust God, it has to be a trust that provokes us to an action. That action has to be the, needs to be the spiritual disciplines so that, we're op- so that we open ourselves to have God ever present in our life so he can guide our steps. Amen? Amen. So stand to your feet. You know, we're going to go home in just a moment. So look, all of this begins with salvation. Because God is a loving God. God loved us so much that he sent his son to pay the price for our sins. We do have a part in it when it comes to how we live our lives after salvation. But the whole point of the gospel is to get the word of Jesus out. To introduce introduce everybody to the son of the living God who came here for one purpose and one purpose only. To snatch us out of the jaws of hell and to reconnect us with the Father. So if you don't know who Jesus is, if you haven't made the decision in your life to accept Christ, we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that today.